Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. In his really useful, remarkable books called The Eastern Christian Churches, A Brief Survey, Father Ronald Roberson, he begins in his introduction by saying this, Many Western Christians are baffled by the complexity of the Christian East, which can appear to be a bewildering array of national churches and ethnic jurisdictions. Well, it can be a bewildering array even of a person's experience of the worship, the liturgies, the traditions of the Eastern churches, especially if you are a Latin Rite Catholic. Now, by a Latin Rite Catholic, that is the actually the proper, the specific name that is used for those that would commonly refer to themselves as Roman Catholic. To be specific, you are Latin Rite Catholic of the Roman Catholic Church. You see, as we talk about in this program all the time, the whole purpose of this program is to present the two lungs of the church, east and west, as they breathe together. Although complementary and different, they breathe together east and west. Most of the different rites of the church are in the eastern churches. There are a few in the west, but for all practical purposes, there is basically one rite that is practiced for the most part in the Roman Catholic Church or the Latin rite, the western lung of the church, and that is called the Latin rite. doesn't mean the traditional Latin mass. It means the Latin rite. The other churches have their respective names that are in the eastern lung of the church. Now, there is, in the book by Father Roberson, there is a way that he has of trying to make this somewhat simpler. He says, this approach yields four distinct and separate Eastern Christian communions. One, the Assyrian Church of the East, which is not in communion with any other church. Now, the Assyrian Church would be in the area we now know today as the country of Iraq. Number two, the six Oriental Orthodox churches, which even though each is independent, are all in full communion with one another. Now, the Oriental Orthodox churches are those churches that were oftentimes referred to as the Monophysite churches. In other words, they did not accept the statement of the Council of Chalcedon. However, in recent years, that name Monophysite has 
basically been dropped from the label of these churches, but they kind of stuck together up until this time with that position of being the so-called monophysite churches. Then there's number three, the Orthodox Church, which is a communion of national or regional churches, all of which recognize the Patriarch of Constantinople as a point of unity, enjoying certain rights in communion with the Church of Rome and its bishop. Now, Constantinople is modern-day Istanbul, Turkey, very Muslim city and country right now, but at one time it was a great, great center of Christianity with the greatest Christian church ever built, Hagia Sophia, which still remains to this day, although now it is, well, it went through different phases. It was taken over by the Muslims. It was taken over by the Muslims in the 15th century. It later became a museum, and now it seems to be reverting back to being a Muslim mosque, although originally was a Byzantine Catholic church. Now, when we talk about these different rites of the church, what we're really talking about is different venerable expressions of the one same faith, different spiritualities, different ways of approaching the one same faith and arriving basically at the same point, but through different ways. In the Eastern churches, there was basically, you could, if you want to really want to make it simple, we can reduce it down to two fundamental liturgical traditions that developed in the East, and that is the Syriac tradition, both East and West Syria, and the Byzantine tradition. The largest is the Byzantine tradition. That's the one that was centered in what was Byzantium at the time. This is the 4th century. This is where the Roman Emperor Constantine moved his center of the empire. He was so impressed with this city called Byzantium, which is on the Black Sea. He was so impressed that he moved his center there and called it Constantinople. In other words, he named it after himself. Well, the Christian church that developed there was a mighty one, eventually allowed Christianity to be the legal religion, and he converted himself, actually. And it became then this great, great center of Christianity. And later on, that city became known as what we know today, Istanbul. So the Byzantine spirituality came from the what was the Byzantine Empire, or the city of Byzantium originally. And then there was Syria, as we mentioned. And then, of course, in the West, we call it the Roman Catholic Church, or the Latin Rite, because it developed, basically centered in Rome. Now, when we experience these different rites, they can sometimes be confusing, wonder why there are so many rites, how is one different than the other, and so on. And there's also the question of why are there Eastern churches and Western churches? What does the fact that the Catholic Church, East and West, is centered in Rome, what does that have to do with the Eastern churches? How does it impact them? Well, this question comes up, I think, in a very relevant way now because we have lost recently, just a few weeks apart from each other, two what I consider to be giants of the modern Catholic Church in the world. And they are Pope Benedict XVI and George Cardinal Pell. These are two giants of the church. And the question comes up, well, what does a Roman Catholic pope a Roman Catholic cardinal, why would they be significant? What do they have to do with an impact on the Eastern Catholic churches, whether it's their presence, what they've done or taught, and also their passing? There is actually a profound impact and a great relevance. And that relevance, I would like to highlight today on our program. First of all, we have to establish the fact that we have two lungs, East and West, made up of different venerable traditions, as I just mentioned, but yet they are together. Now, the Orthodox churches 
are from the same Eastern traditions as the Eastern Catholic churches, but they are not in communion with Rome. See, what happened was when there was the great schism in the year 1054 AD between Constantinople and Rome, the Eastern churches centered in Constantinople, now modern-day Istanbul, called themselves the Orthodox churches. They still call themselves that today. The West, centered in Rome, called itself the Roman Catholic Church. Now, we fast forward 500 years. We start to have then partial reunions between the Eastern churches and the Roman Catholic Church, the Church of Rome. Partial reunions, not full reunions. So those parts of the church that did not reunite with Rome and Rome with them are still today called the Orthodox churches. Those parts of the Orthodox churches that did reunite with Rome, like it was before the schism, are known as the Eastern Catholic Churches. Hopefully, it hasn't been too confusing to you yet. That's why even in his book, Father Roberson tried to make it all simple. He's done a great job studying and presenting this complexity of Eastern churches. And the question is often asked, it's often asked of the Eastern Catholic churches by the Orthodox churches, well, why are you in communion with Rome? Why do you have the Pope as the head of your church, the Pope of Rome? He's Latin right. Why do you have him as the head of your church, your Eastern church? Because the Eastern Orthodox churches all have their own individual patriarchs. In other words, in a sense, almost like their own popes. There are some Eastern Catholic churches that have a patriarch as well, but even that patriarch, because it's Eastern Catholic, is ultimately answerable to the Pope of Rome, who is basically the patriarch of the Catholic Church East and West. In other words, for those Eastern churches in union with the Pope of Rome, ultimately it is the Pope who is the basically the patriarch, even though these other churches have their own patriarchs. That patriarch is still, shall we say, answerable to the Pope of Rome. And so the question oftentimes comes up, why, why Eastern Catholic churches? Why Eastern Catholic churches united with Rome, and what does it matter? How does it impact the Eastern Catholic churches when things happen or don't happen, or there's a death of a predominant Roman Catholic or Latin Rite prelate, such as the Pope Benedict XVI and also George Cardinal Pell? Well, we have to understand something, that what happens in the West impacts the East and vice versa. And throughout history, the history of the reunion, we're talking about the time after 1054 AD and then when the reunion started to happen. What goes on there, what happened in that history, profoundly affects the Eastern Catholic Churches, even to today. And we want to highlight these two, what I call giants, that have passed on almost at the same time, only a few weeks apart from each other, because they have had an effect on the Eastern Catholic churches, and they are significant to us, as any prelate is who were like these two. First of all, Pope Benedict XVI was a prelate who appreciated something that Eastern Catholics really appreciate. He appreciated the ancient traditions of the church and the ancient rites of the Catholic church. And he appreciated liturgy and beauty. Pope Benedict XVI was very, very serious about proper liturgy, about proper worship. This is why he composed the what's called the Moda Proprio, which gave permission for priests to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass, or at least to celebrate the Novus Ordo Mass in the West facing east, in other words, ad orientum. What Benedict was trying to do is something he tried to do soon after Vatican II happened. He was one of the architects of Vatican II. But what he tried to do then, when he saw that certain things were maybe going off course from Vatican II, he tried to kind of right the ship, bring it back. And he formed this organization called Communio, together with other prominent theologians, that tried to articulate what the church really was saying 
during the Second Vatican Council. We're going to talk more about the significance of these two giants that have passed on, the significance of them not only to the whole church, but to the Eastern Catholic churches when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Foyer, your host. And we're talking about the different lungs of the church, east and west, and how the major figures of the western lung of the church, in other words, those centered in Rome, such as the Pope and the Cardinals, how they are significant to the Eastern Catholic churches. And we're using the, the deaths of two giants, what I call giants, George Cardinal Pell and Benedict XVI. We're using their passing to use as a kind of a, of a way to study this, to look at this. As I mentioned before the break, Pope Benedict XVI was a man who loved beauty and loved liturgy. Now, that's very dear to the Eastern churches. Not only does that help the Eastern churches feel very much at home, being united with the Pope of Rome, even though we came from the East, from the Orthodox, but also we feel that it helps to protect our sense of beauty and liturgy, that the Pope of Rome understands that and therefore would respect and help preserve the ancient traditions of the Eastern churches, which emphasize very strongly liturgy and beauty. 
We also see in someone like Pope Benedict, who was serious about liturgy, worship, and beauty, we see that as helping the Latin rite of the church, making them stronger. And that actually then is kind of a reciprocal, kind of a reflexive action that helps us too. In other words, if we see the Latin rite praying and worshiping according to the best of their tradition, then that helps us to preserve and protect our own tradition. In other words, there's no threat to us because of what might be going on in the Latin rite that might be kind of questionable and so on. In other words, the things that Benedict tried to correct that were going a little bit off course. So the Eastern Catholic churches will feel more at home with a pope like Benedict, who loves and appreciates liturgy and beauty. The other thing about Benedict and also about George Cardinal Pell was they were both men who were very, very committed to the true teaching of the church. And that's significant to the whole church, but especially to the Eastern Catholic churches, because we by nature are very committed to the teachings of the Catholic Church. And one of the reasons we are is because our liturgy is very ancient and basically unchanging. And so that keeps us very focused on the true teachings of the church. In other words, when you worship correctly, as even Pope Benedict XVI said, when you worship correctly, everything else will go correct in the church. You'll understand church teaching. It will make sense because liturgy both informs life, and life informs liturgy. Everything moves in and out of liturgy. Liturgy has to be right. I'm not talking about every little detail, everybody's singing perfectly. I'm talking about the fundamental approach and orientation and understanding and celebration of liturgy in the church. If that is right in the East and the West, everything else can be understood about the church. Everything else can go right. So, when you have two great men of the church, such as George Cardinal Pell and Pope Benedict XVI, when you have two men like that who are committed to the true teaching of the church, you have then an affirmation for the Eastern Catholic churches, because we are committed to the true teaching of the church. And so we feel, in a sense, at home, once again, protected. We're in good hands when you have men like that in the Western church who are in prominent positions, such as the Pope himself. The other thing that's true about these two men, these two giants, is that they were both confessors for the faith. In other words, they both suffered. They had a heroic witness to the faith. Pope Benedict XVI suffered a lot. People may not think of that, but he, he did suffer in his own way. I think he suffered a lot towards the end when he saw what was happening to the church and things were happening in liturgy, even though he tried to correct some of that. Maybe it was being undone after him, but he did suffer. He suffered at the disappointment was happening in the church. He suffered at false accusations and criticisms of him that are very unfair, but he took that very, very graciously. He was actually a brilliant man. He was actually, I think, one of the greatest minds of the modern day church. Well, he was only in his 30s when he was helping to architect and draft some of the influential documents of the Second Vatican Council. Imagine that. He had to have been brilliant. The church had to have recognized his brilliance and utilized it. So he was a, a brilliant theologian, but yet a man who was very, very humble and gracious. And I think he suffered because, especially the media, made him out to be some kind of, in fact, they even called him uh, the Rottweiler, like he was some kind of a mean barking dog. No, he was not. He had a position at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which oversees the true teaching of the church. It tries to keep all that on course, along with other things as well. So he was the head of that. So by nature, 
he had to be very firm in church teaching. It doesn't mean he was mean to anybody. He was not. He was a very gracious and humble man, yet was firm about and committed to the true teaching of the church because he saw, as I said earlier, the beauty of it, the wisdom of it, and its liturgy. It's not just because he was trying to be a Rottweiler, a dictator, the German shepherd, even as sometimes they called him. So yes, he did suffer that kind of unfair characterization, that unfair labeling. You know, that hurts because it's not who he was. It's not what he was trying to be, but yet he was portrayed that way by many, especially the secular media. Now, George Cardinal Pell, for his part, was truly a confessor of the faith. In fact, I had the privilege of spending some time with him, actually a couple days with him. And I'm so grateful to Almighty God that I had that privilege only about a year or so before he died. And I had time to talk with him about things in the church, get to know him. As many of you know, he was falsely accused. This was during a time when he was the head of the Vatican Bank. He was brought in to straighten out some of the scandals and the the disorganization that was happening in the Vatican Bank. We have to admit this this happened. And George Carnapel was brought in to correct that, and he did. He worked hard and he corrected it. Anytime you're going to correct something where there is access to lots and lots and lots and lots of money, you know you're going to have certain characters that aren't going to be too happy. Let's face it, where there is lots and lots of money, it's very likely to have people who are not so scrupulous. And that's what happened in the Vatican Bank. So naturally, those people are going to be very angry. Now, George Carnapel, like Pope Benedict XVI, was a confident man in the church and what was right, but he was also humble as well. In fact, he never said, I was set up. He said, I may have been set up, but he was set up. He had a very unfair accusation, an unfair trial. It was actually laughable. It was absurd. It was actually an impossibility. What he was accused of was impossible to have had happened. And yet through all that, he still would not accuse anyone. He would just say, well, I may have been framed. Well, we believe he was framed. It's pretty obvious. We, we don't have proof, but it seems obvious. But he wouldn't say that. And yet he suffered. He was put in prison unfairly, in solitary confinement. He couldn't even have a Bible or say Mass. Eventually, I think he was allowed to have a Bible. And there are writings coming out about his story, which I think will be certainly worth reading. But that makes him what we call in the church a confessor, a confessor for the faith. In other words, a man who gives heroic witness and endures that suffering. And then when he was finally vindicated, he did a lot of speaking. He still stayed around in Rome. He still served the church. He wasn't embittered. He came right back to the scene of the crime, to where he was falsely accused and where he was scorned by many in Rome at the time. And so both of these men need to be recognized and honored Because honorable men in the church is good for the whole church, East and West, especially these three, because they were humble, they were dedicated to church teaching, they had integrity, they loved liturgy, they loved beauty. And those are the kind of church leaders that the Eastern Catholic churches like to be aligned with, because we feel protected, we feel that there's sort of a like-mindedness, a more of a brotherhood, a closeness. And so this is why today, I am presenting my thoughts on these two men. Although they were Roman Catholic of the Latin Rite, they nonetheless were significant, I believe, by their example and who they were to the Eastern Catholic churches. 
Part of the value of being an Eastern Catholic Church in union with the Pope of Rome, because many times the Orthodox may question that, why we are, I think one of the advantages, first of all, we get to work with and be aligned with great men like these two that we're talking about today. Also, there is a clear articulation of where the church stands, of church teaching, which means God's order of things. Remember, church teaching is about God's order. It's not just about the church making up things. There's a clear understanding about that that can be articulated in a very clear and compelling way, especially when it comes to moral issues that can be kind of confusing for people or misinterpreted very easily. This is, of course, especially the area of sexual morality. And from Rome comes this really beautiful and clear articulation of what is right and what is wrong, where the church stands on things and why, which is basically where God stands on things, because the church, member is the spokesman for God. We simply point to God's order of things. There's a great clarity that the Church of Rome is capable of presenting to the world on these issues. In other words, the church itself in its teachings coming from Rome is not squishy or fuzzy. This may happen in practice on certain levels, but not in the actual teaching. And I personally find that to be very, very valuable. It also allows the Eastern churches to have access to the riches of the Western churches, like educational systems and universities and so on. Assistance, a sense of order, someone to appeal to. These are all, I believe, advantages of being in union with the Pope of Rome and also aligned with great men of the faith of the church, such as we're honoring today, Pope Benedict XVI and George Cardinal Pell. May their memory be eternal. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Hey, this is Doug Keck, EWTN President and Chief Operating Officer. This is Bishop Ferdinand Cherie, Auxiliary Bishop of New Orleans. This is Jerry Usher, co-host of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Thanks for listening to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!